Church, Charlotte. Praise the Lord, somebody. Lift your voice in the house. If you haven't praised him yet, make sure this moment does not pass without you glorifying the name of the Lord. We bless you today, oh precious Redeemer. Come on, where are my church folks at here today? I bless you today, oh precious Redeemer. There is none like unto you, O oh God. You're the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. And I worship you. I bless you. I glorify your name, O oh God. Fill this house with your anointing. Walk every aisle of this church. Touch every heart. Let the Holy Spirit visit us in this house today. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more time, put your hands together and give God a hand clap of praise and worship. We worship and bless your name today. Amen. Before you're seated, turn around, smile at somebody real big, hug them, kiss them, fist bump them, whatever feels right in that particular moment, but don't, don't, don't be creating any problems. Like you, Almighty Redeemer, you are righteous and powerful. Hallelujah! 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 So, if you're visiting with us today, I've got a low frequency hum up here. Sounds I don't know. Four or five hundred k. So, uh, if you're visiting with us today, I just want to say I am not the individual who normally would greet you. Normally, one of our lovely ladies in the church come and they'd be like, "Praise the Lord, everybody! How you doing? We love you." Uh, and so, uh, obviously, that's not me. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm like, you ever like try to do something and then realize that the key pieces of it somehow were lost in the process. So, in um, I, I I came this morning and I always have a bunch of stuff to bring on Sunday and I left without either of my two iPads, neither of them. And so um, I use them so regularly that I'm, I don't even have my computer connected to the print system in the offices where I can print out notes. I know what you're thinking, bad life choice. I do not disagree, you're not wrong. Um, and I spent the time normally when I would greet people and whatnot trying to get Dropbox downloaded on my daughter's iPad, and it did not work. It, 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 it's too slow. I have too much saved, and it won't download, and it doesn't know which file I need. And so I thought about, you know, I, I held her pink iPad, and I, I said, Lord, what would you have me to say? And uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, princesses need Jesus too. <laughs> this has never happened to me. And so what I did then is I sent, uh, I sent my notes to uh, uh, Sister Beverly, and she's trying to print them out for me. In the meantime, um, I have one of those messages. What? Somebody's about to get real in here. All right, 
So we're going to get continue with the services and um, stand up one more time. Again, apologies if you're visiting with us. This has never happened before. Take a moment. Uh, turn around and greet somebody and say, we need to pray for the pastor. He's struggling, obviously. Lord Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you to my team. A perfect example of how my team makes me look good. And I have the best team in the world and they make me look good. And I'm so thankful for that. If you're visiting with us today, we want you just to relax. Um, we're not, we're, you're among friends. Thank you for taking a chance on us. Uh, we're going to get into the scripture together. We're going to read from the first epistle of John, chapter number three. And my title today um, is Show and Tell. Show and Tell. I'm going to start something new um, this week. We're going to try it for the rest of the summer and probably the fall as a learning experience. I am going to start, rather than preaching the same sermon in both of the services here, I'm going to stagger them by a week. And so it allows those of you who serve in many ways in the second service, it, sometimes it's more difficult for you if you hear, you've heard the same message already and it's easy for you to just kind of not enjoy being there. So by staggering a week, uh, maybe if I do something good, you'll be able to bring somebody next week and you're like, my God, that message is for you. <laughs> I'm coming to the 11 o'clock with you. <laughs> so um, we, are, we are trying as best as we can to respond uh, to your needs, your uh, comments, and whatnot. And so, uh, all right, 1 John chapter number 3, we're going to read at verse number 18. Before we read, put a big smile on your face. You need a smile when you read uh, scripture. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Um, you could preach a message right there about, I thought I knew love, <laughs> Uh, but I didn't know love until I realized what God had done for me. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, but whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love, I think for clarity to use our language style, if we weren't reading a translation from um, the original uh, Greek, um, we, would, we would probably phrase it just a slightly bit different. We would say, my little children, let us not just love in word or in tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. Can I have a big amen? All right, all right. Um, so I want to start with a question that I feel like is a fair question. It's the kind of question that outsiders ask, but church folks usually do not ask. Um, we have been a part of a church community long enough that to us, church 
comes to mean a certain set of activities on our part. It comes to mean a certain schedule on our part. And we quit asking questions, uh, at least in the manner of an outsider, we quit asking questions like, can a Christian really make a difference anyway? But if you talk to non-church people, if you talk to outsiders, you will often find uh, that this is a more common question to be asked. Say, theoretically, I gave my heart to God. Say, theoretically, that I got involved in uh, something that I thought would make the world better. Say, theoretically, that I became a part of the body of Christ working uh, in my community. Could I really make a difference, or am I just deceiving myself in trying? Uh, I want to, first of all, uh, try to answer the question this way. I, I don't know whether or not I can make a difference, but I know I have been called by God to try. Smile at your neighbor. Say, say, say now that part was for me. <laughs> um, you've all heard the story that every preacher has ever preached has used this illustration about the little boy on a beach covered with starfish that had been washed onto the sand and were dying. You've all heard this, and the little boy's throwing it back into the sea, and an elderly gentleman uh, walks by and says, Son, um, uh, you know you can't save all these starfish. It's I've walked the beach for miles, and as far as you can walk, there's starfish all over the beach. Uh, you can't save these starfish. And the little boy throws the starfish into the sea and says, uh, yes, sir, I can't save all the starfish. And he pointed to the next one. He said, but I, I can save that one. And he reached down, he grabbed the starfish, and he threw it back into the sea. I, I don't know if I could, as a minister, just being d uh, vulnerable here with you, I don't know if I have the uh, communication uh, chops. I don't know if I have the... Uh, um, uh, public speaking chops to make uh, a difference on a city level. I don't. I don't know if if my uh, sermons would ever be uh, broadcast where more than an immediate circle of people would be in some way touched, changed, and challenged by them. I don't know. Uh, but this is what I know: is that in this house today, uh, there are people who you need more of God this week than you lived with last week. I know that you need more hope this week than you lived with last week. I know you need to be reminded that, yes, Jesus loves me. I know you need to be reminded that once you were lost in sin, but Jesus didn't leave you there. Jesus stepped into the detritus of your life. And he wrapped his arms around you and he lifted you out of the muck and mire of your own sin and trial and trouble. And he said, I loved you enough to get involved in this embarrassing mess you've made down here. The, mish, the, the Christian life is a mission trip, or it, it's nothing. Um, the life we live is a missions trip. Uh, we have to see it as having purpose threaded through it. Uh, there is no spiritual life that is self-serve and also of the kingdom of God. There is no religious walk that is primarily about self-perfection and not about serving, loving, and embracing others. Our lives are a form of a missions trip, and every day uh, we choose whether or not we're going to be a part of that missions trip, and our choice often 
oftentimes is based on our spirituality. Sometimes we're not where we ought to be. I'll say amen to that just in case none of you thought that you were willing to say amen. Uh, sometimes we're not as spiritual. Uh, sometimes we haven't been praying like we should. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Uh, so <laughs> sometimes we haven't been doing everything we're supposed to do. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, I'm talking about you. But here's the thing. Um, <laughs> there is a mission at this, and I have to choose on a regular basis to believe that I am sent on a missions trip. Uh, don't miss the uh, powerful metaphor, indeed one of the most powerful metaphors of the scripture, that the whole of the New Testament is writ on, written by a guy who spent the rest of his life on missions trips. Don't miss, the, don't miss the irony. Don't miss the metaphor here. The whole New Testament, practically two-thirds, is written by a guy who goes on one missions trip until he collapses with exhaustion, recovers, <laughs> and goes on another missions trip until he collapses from exhaustion and recovers, and you see how this is going, right? Goes on another missions trip, and uh, our life is a mission trip. He has called us. I, let me read John 20 and verse number uh, 21. Uh, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What is our response to this realization? Uh, well, let me tell you what my response has been at times. Oh, Lord, I don't deserve it. <laughs> uh, um, oh, Lord, I don't know enough. Uh, does anybody else understand what I'm saying here? Oh, Lord, I make mistakes. Well, <laughs> well there's a line could start right here, you know. Um, oh, Lord, I, I make a, a mess of things that I, is embarrassing later. <laughs> okay. Um, have you read the Bible? I mean, any of it? <laughs> um, uh, so uh, what is the right response to this? The, the Father has sent me, remember in the New Testament, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are teaching insights to the Godhead, teaching insights to God with us, God in us, God through us. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. What is your response? There's only one right response, and it's not, I'm unworthy. We knew that. Thank you for nothing. Um, it's not, I'm not qualified. Okay, join the line. Um, it is this, here I am, Lord, send. Say it with me, somebody. Here I am, Lord, send. Here I am, Lord. Okay, so the next mistake is to um, want it, but not put it on our daily schedule. To desire it, but leave it so aspirational that um, maybe someday something will be done, but in the meantime, uh, where are y'all going to eat lunch? <laughs> uh, that's one mistake we make. Another mistake we make is to uh, try to believe that it all depends on us, and therefore, say, for example, as a pastor, um, I'm it's Sunday has come and gone, I'm driving home, and it wasn't as good as I wanted, so I beat myself up, tell myself I'm a failure, I'm never going to do anything, I beat myself down, and um, I've, I just want you to know for the record, I've never, ever done that. And um, so that's the response that it's all on you. And, and that's another way of doing nothing. That's another way of doing nothing. Um, to think that it is all on uh, you. It is um, another way to 
find yourself in spiritual paralysis. Somebody say spiritual paralysis. So let's be real practical here today. And so with the hope that you can immediately apply this uh, to your life in in some spiritual, uh, some powerful way. Um, I'm reading from uh, Philippians chapter number two, verse number 12, and we're going to read down through 17. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Huh? Is there no doctrine? Is there no sacred scripture? Is there no word upon which we are built? What in uh, the name of all that is holy do you mean by uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Uh, Remember, we write, we read as an apostle writes to people he has ushered into the faith. And I think rather than trying to invite the invention of new doctrines, which I do not believe the apostle Paul's doing. In fact, I can show you multiple places in the scripture where he advises against that. Can I have an amen? What do I think that he is asking us to do? Uh, Let's again approach this as uh, practical believers because that's the tone and the direction of the apostle Paul's teaching. It's almost as though he says this, look, your place in the church is different than my place in the church. Uh, Your ability to make a difference in your world is different than my ability to make a difference in my world. You have to see that your place in the kingdom of God is inseparable from the gifts God has put in you and the future God has promised for you. Let me, let me say it differently. If you fail to get involved, if you fail to join the mission, if you stay stuck in self-obsessed, reassurance-based religion and are not involved in uh, this work that is before us, it's going to be very difficult for you to live with spiritual meaning. Let's continue. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Don't talk about God's will if you're not willing to talk about what you're going to do. Uh, Let's move along. Um, The Apostle Paul is not going to give them a formula um, of what to do. Notice this. If you miss everything else I say. Apostle Paul is talking about some serious things here, yes? He's talking about how your work is related to your salvation. He's not talking about earning salvation. Read anything else he's written or continue reading in the book of Philippians. He's not talking about inventing a new religion. Read almost anything the Apostle Paul's written. What is he talking about? He's talking about your missional life within the kingdom of God. Let me say it differently. He's inviting you to live as though you you desire to make a difference for the kingdom of God. 
That's how he's inviting you to live. He's inviting you to live as though you can make a difference. I, can, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm fighting some, uh, some of your own arguments to yourself, not in a bad way, but just in a manner of humanity. So um, I want you to say this with me. Are you ready? Say, repeat after me. I can make a difference in the kingdom of God. I don't, I don't like that resistance that's in some of your hesitant speech. I want to say it again. I can make a difference for the kingdom of God. I need you to believe that. 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 The future of God's work in this city depends on you believing that. Your future influence of the kingdom of God depends on you believing that I can make a difference. Oh, but pastor, what about this? Okay, we'll deal with that. But I can make a difference in the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm still wrestling with some of you, all right? I want you to say it with me. Say, I am not a spiritual accident. I want to say it again. I want you to say it louder. I am not a spiritual accident. Somebody say, I was chosen for a purpose. Now, I wish you'd help me praise God all across this house. He's not going to tell them what to do. He said, you're going to have to figure it out. He said, you're going to ask, seek, knock. All true, spiritual, all true spirituality is you asking, seeking, not knocking, not performing for other people. You can, you can fool other people. It's you asking, seeking, knocking. So let me ask you this question. How are we doing asking, seeking, knocking? Uh, he's not going to tell them what to do. He's going to tell them, are you ready for this? How to do it. It's not just tell, it's show and tell. It's not what to do, it's how to do it. Work out your salvation, take it seriously, fear and trembling. God wants to work in you by his will according to his pleasure. Uh, and now, since he's not going to give them a formula on how to make a difference, he's going to tell them, or, 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 or what to do, I should say, for clarity. He's not going to tell them what to do. Wake up every morning at 6.30 for early morning prayer. Hallelujah. Then after early morning prayer, go fix your wife breakfast. Hallelujah. Bless her holy name. Then at the way to work, listen to Pastor Nate's most recent sermon that you already heard twice on Sunday. Bless the Lord and all the holy angels. And let's see what he's not telling. He's not giving them a formula, but he's going to tell them how to do the work when they find their gifts. Do all things without complaining and disputing. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you how to do it. Yes. Praise God. No, Brother Don, nobody got excited on that one. It was just like a wet blanket just went all over the church here today. Uh, do all things without complaining and disputing. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you how to do. I'm telling you how to live. I'm telling you how to get involved and make a difference. Don't dispute. Don't complain that you may become blameless and harmless. If I could get religious people to care as much about being harmless as they care about being blameless. Yeah. 
Mm. <laughs> Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about work out your own salvation. Understand the practical teaching of a pastoral heart. Um, holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. This is one of the most powerful pastoral scriptures in all the word of God. And let me say it like this. I can't win unless you win. That's a pastoral heart right there. That's not a heart who's running out everybody they don't like in the church. That's not a, church, a pastor heart who loves certain groups more than other groups. That's someone saying, I can't be blessed if you're not blessed. I, I recently started a, a website uh, called Faith for Flourishing. I did it because I don't have anything to do. And um, I, I figured another project was just what the doctor ordered for, for me. So I did it. And I told my pastoral staff that I was going to blow them up. I wanted them to write. And I would help them. I would edit. I'd do whatever I could. I want them to write. I want them to send me articles. And some of you guys have seen what we're doing online and uh, trying to push this out there. It comes down to this. I can't flourish alone and say I have a pastoral heart. I can't celebrate blessing alone and say I have a pastoral heart. God so organized the church, even with the idea of tithe and offering, which I'm not preaching about today. I probably should sometime, but I'm not today. Notice the structure. The leaders of God's people cannot profit unless it is through the profit of the people. It's structured where I can't profit unless you are blessed first. My blessing comes after your blessing. God, I pray you'd open the windows of heaven among your people. I don't, I don't pray blessing upon them. That would be a trial to them. If they're shallow in their Christianity, if they're still struggling with a, gen, a generous heart, uh, I don't want a trial placed upon them because of that, Lord Jesus. Uh, but that said, I, I want you to bless them abundantly. It doesn't have to be financial. It doesn't have to be career. It can be blessing them in their children. It can be blessing them in their marriage. It can be blessing them in their health. Uh, it can be blessing them with uh, amazing friendships. Friendships make us rich and friendships are worth investing in and they're worth fighting for. Uh, bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is not telling us what to do. He said, you're going to have to figure that out, but he's telling us how to do it. Don't complain. Uh, if you will not be if you will not be fractious, don't dispute, don't complain, you can shine as lights. It's like you have the choice of being fractious, condemning, complaining, disputing, um, or you can shine as a light. It's, it's almost like there is this um, opposing uh, current here uh, where so much of biblical teaching is like this. There's the positive and the negative, and you put them together and you get electrical uh, power. Um, I want to rejoice in your blessing, and I want, I want to rejoice in the day of Christ. Christ, that my work has not been in vain. And if you're not blessed, it's going to all feel like nothing to me. Verse 17. Yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. We are invited to change the world in which we are placed, not 
by what we do. You have to figure out your testimony. You have to figure out the ministry you fit in. The vast majority of you are strong Christians. There's tremendous ways you can get involved. And if, if you don't know where to start, I promise you we will help you find a place. You need to get involved and find your what. Some of you are not, um, you don't want to be, uh, you, you, well, let me say it this way, you may feel more like an introvert, you see. Um, that may be something you, you, you struggle with. But we have a dynamic prayer ministry at our church. I, I, there's not many churches that host early morning prayer uh, most days of the week. Um, and we have powerful leaders in that. I, I, I got it started, but now uh, we have other leaders that are very much a part of it. Um, there is uh, service things you can be a part of where you don't have to be the front man, if you understand what I'm saying. Find your what. Find your what. It's dependent on your gifts. It's dependent on your anointing. It's your formative experiences. And once you find it, Paul's going to tell you how to work there. Work without complaining. Work without disputing. This will help you be blameless and harmless, not just blameless. Um, And on and on. We are called to make a difference in our society, and we can do it. Now, I want to tell you a story. Um, There was a young philosopher. This story is told by the historian Elaine uh, Pagels, and she uh, tells this in the book that she wrote a few years back, and I'm going to read from this. Um, Christians were notable for perceiving their own conflicts in terms of a battle between God and Satan. The impact of this belief upon behavior is vividly illustrated by the true story of Justin. I think this is Justin Martyr, who you would know of historically as Justin Martyr. Um, A young man who traveled from Asia Minor to Rome, about 140 uh, CE, to pursue his passionate interest in philosophy. One day he went with his friends to the amphitheater to see a spectacular life and death gladiatorial, uh, the, the spectacular life and death gladiatorial fights. Uh, Justin was startled to see in the midst of this violent entertainment, a group of criminals being led out to be torn apart by wild beasts. The serene courage with which they met their brutal public execution astonished him, especially when he learned that these were illiterate people, Christians, whom the Roman senator tacked Actius had called, quote, a group of people hated for their superstitions and whose founder, Christos, Jesus Christ, Christos, had himself, quote, suffered the extreme penalty under Pontius Pilate, that's Tactius' words, about a hundred years before. Justin, the young man who was exposed to this, was profoundly shaken, for he saw a group of uneducated people actually accomplishing what the philosophers Plato and Zeno had regarded as the greatest achievement of a philosopher. And what is that? Accepting death with equanimity, an accomplishment which the gladiator's bravado merely parodied. In other words, he saw in them the real thing. Everything else was a parody. Everything else was a pretense. Everything else was a, how shall we say, fake confidence. In them, he saw the real thing. As he watched, Justin realized that he was witnessing something quite beyond nature, a miracle. Somehow these people had tapped into a great unknown source of power. 
come on, somebody. (laughs) They had tapped into, they had attained through faith what the philosophers had struggled with their whole life through seeking their own understanding. Justin would have been even more startled had he known that these Christians saw themselves not as philosophers, but as combatants in a cosmic struggle, God's warriors against Satan. As Justin learned later, their amazing confidence derived from the conviction that their own agony and death actually were hastening God's victory over the forces of evil, forces embodied in the Roman magistrate who had sentenced them, and for that matter, in spectators like Justin himself. What was the effect of this upon uh, Justin? Seeing Christians die with composure actually caused this earnest man to become a Christian and literally rush into his own martyrdom. Although Justin is an extreme example, it appears in to be true in general that persecution often increases the recruitment of new members to a sect by providing a form of honest advertisement. Oh, y'all didn't hear what I just said. Why does Paul want you to worry just as much or more about how you do it than he wants you to worry about what you are doing? Your gift might be teaching home Bible studies. I bless you. That is a lost skill among us. Your gift might be intercessory prayer. I bless I bless you today. Oftentimes we don't know how to pray, so the Spirit makes intercession for us. Your gift might be a gift of kindness. You know what kindness is? It's just love in action. That's all kindness is, love in action. You might be the person who every Sunday you have a gift for making outsiders feel comfortable. You have a gift, some of you, and when you see someone join the church and accept the covenant down here, you immediately rush to ask one of them to lunch, or you immediately rush. The what is unique to you. I want you to care just as much about how you do it as what you are doing, because this is real religious truth in advertising. And the testimony of groups that have made a difference is very much, very much brought up by how people go about doing it. Let me give you some examples from history, and I'm going to try to wrap up here pretty quick. Um, uh, The Beguins were a group of Christian women who lived during the 12th and 13th century in the low countries of Europe, Netherlands, and the surrounding area. They were known for their independence, their commitment to social justice. You know what? Modern-day social justice warriors think that they are persecuted because someone tweets something bad about them. But if you would study the history of the Beguins, you would understand you, you don't really know what persecution is. Um, what you call persecution um, is, uh, I'm not against uh, uh, people trying to make the world better. I'm not against that. But I'm just saying, come on, compare yourself. Uh, modern, modern feminism should compare themselves to what these women uh, went through here. They fought for social justice in the 12th 
Christ and 13th century. I mean, holy cow. In order to survive, they had to build their own communities and they decided, uh, because they had been isolated, that they would put their faith in action. And they decided, if nothing else, we will help the poor and we will help the sick. They were known for their religious insights. They were known for their culture of worship and prayer. They wrote many hymns, many poems. Um, and interestingly, they came to be accepted, but they fought for women's rights way back before it was even possible. And uh, in time, although they could not, in a modern sense, change the world, the manner of their testimony brought them influence and fame until a day came when society had changed enough where there was more of their ideas that would be able to be accepted. In the same manner, imagine 17th century Christianity. What do you know about the 17th century? Well, you know Europe has been in a nonstop state of war. Uh, we're just just at the end of the hundred years war uh, between Spain and, um, and France, or England and France. Uh, we're just at the end of the war between Spain and England. There's been nothing but chaos, and we've seen papal armies. We've seen everything done in the name of God, and there's a group that says, there's, it's not just what we do. We've got to do it differently, and this was the rise of a group of uh, Christians known as Quakers, and they served Surveying history of war in the name of God says we've got to do it a different way. So what did they do? They decided that they would be known for their pacifism. We will not harm anybody. They decided to change the way they did it. And their simple lifestyle and their commitment, their refusing to bear arms, they had an impact that is beyond simply the general generation in which they lived, and they had a lasting generational change, because what do you see after the rise of the Quakers? You see the end, in many ways, of religious justification for European wars or wars in the West. We could go on and on and on. People who stood up for their beliefs. And so the Apostle Paul says this to all of you. It's not just what you do. You need to figure that out. You need to figure out what your talents are. You need to figure out what your personality is. You need to figure out what you can do in the house of God. You need to take it seriously. You need to do it, watch, with fear and trembling. You need to figure out where you fit. You need to be serious about it. You need to understand that your life is a mission and you can't please God and not be missional. It's not a beauty pageant. You can't present yourself, look how good I am. That's Pharisee culture. Those are the people who Jesus saw as antichrist. They're the opposite of him. You have to figure out where you fit. You have to make a difference. I'm issuing a call to all of you talented people. Take it with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Take it with fear and trembling. Take it with fear and trembling. Figure out your what. But now, uh, while you're worried about that and thinking about that and praying about that, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I don't want you to be a grumbler. I don't want you to be fighting everybody. 
And so do everything without grumbling and arguing. John writes, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And if you begin to do that, if you begin to care about how you do it, your life gets a testimony that does not simply condemn, but also inspires. The world is full of religious people who everything they do is a condemnation of the world in which they're placed. We don't need more of those. However, if we manage how we do what we are doing, it is a change in perception. Paul says, having already asked them to do this without grumbling and uh, disputing, he says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then, somebody say then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. There's lots of people who are not shining like a star. Uh, Let me read. Uh, Romans 12 and 2. I'm going to read from the message translation. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, uh, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity within you. Figure out what you're going to do for God, and then care how you do it. Don't do it in pride. Don't do it in seeking vainglory. Don't do it by needing to argue with other people why what they're doing is wrong. Without grumbling, without disputing, no one appreciates me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you appreciate other people? Anyway, moving right along. (laughs) The result of this is we begin to spiritually stand out. That makes us have a star-like guidance. Remember, stars are how they navigate. Stars, and when they use in the Mediterranean basin, when a communicator talks about stars, they all live, their lives are dependent upon the navigation across the Mediterranean. Uh, They don't have enough uh, wheat in Rome to live. Where does the wheat come from? Egypt. They grow it by the delta of the Nile. And so their whole life is tied up. There's historical starving uh, in uh, Rome and surrounding areas when the wheat harvest fails in Egypt. They have to understand their lives are interlinked. And so to think of stars is to think about a guiding. How do we become navigational aids to the society in which we live? Paul is telling us. Lastly, or not lastly, but thirdly, the response of this is we are able to hold firmly to the word of life. Holding firmly does not depend upon you uh, having a disagreement agreements with everyone in your life. Philippians 1 verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Don't misunderstand standing firm with a contentious spirit. They taint the same thing. Uh, One of the testimonies in my life has been the profound convictions of my dad. 
and yet the gentleness with which he has uh, carried them. Uh, when I was a young man growing up, some of the formative experiences in my life, who particularly you, those of you who can only see a difference between me and my dad, I want to um, I want to uh, just since this service is not being recorded or broadcast, I don't have to worry about embarrassing anybody. I, I want you to be reminded that those of you who think I am too edgy and willing to uh, cause a stir in order to be true to my my vision, I want you to know that when my dad was pastoring less than a hundred people, he wrote a book about church growth that was so controversial that headquarters would not publish it. It's called Revival Churches of the Rapture Generation. I'm trying to help him rewrite it right now. So lest you only see me in my this stage of life and my dad in the retirement stage of life, I, I, we'll all have different stages of life. Uh, don't, 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 let me tell you another thing. My grandfather, who I was blessed by, uh, we used to have testimony service. How many of you grew up in a church that had testimony service growing up? That's about half. Um, and so let's see. Um, my grandfather, step-grandfather, who was a blessing of God in my life, would always stand up, but he did not believe in, um, he believed salvation was uh, more complicated than just whether or not you had ticked all the boxes. He thought salvation was a heart thing, and um, I, that's influenced me somewhat, and um, I, I, I don't want to fight about it, but I'm not unsympathetic to the view. I mean, after all, the story of the thief on the cross is in there for a reason. God knows your heart. Uh, in other words, you don't need a note from your pastor to be saved. God can save you all by himself. <laughs> you don't have to bring your favorite theologian to the, uh, to, the, to the great white throne judgment with you. But he would stand up and testify in my dad's church. Those of you who think my dad is just one thing, okay? He would stand up and testify. I mean, every, every, every testimony service. He would stand up. And you know what he'd testify? Same introduction every time. He would give the uh, quick history of his life. And he would tell how he had, he, uh, you know, after World War II, he had, uh, he had got saved. In, uh, he would tell when he got saved. That was one date. And then he would say a few years later, he got baptized. And then a few years later, he would say he would every Sunday. And then a few years later, I got the Holy Ghost. He would give that date when he got the Holy Ghost. Well, you could imagine growing up in a church from our particular strain of theological inheritance that the first thing my dad would have done would sit him down and say, brother, let's get something clear right now. I'll decide when you were saved. You can't stand up every testimony service and give different dates for when you were saved and when you were baptized and when you might as well get a date for when you repented of your sins, which you should say is I repented of my sins on this day. Then I got baptized on this day, then I got the blessings of God, and now I'm hoping I'm saved. My dad never corrected him a single time. He let him do it for years, and he would stand there, and it was all good. We'd get done, and I'd be a little kid. You know, little kids are like, you know, the black and white police when you're growing up. They are absolutists, absolute absolutists. That's too much sugar, Dad. You're probably lost. <laughs> absolutists. I'd sit there, and I'd be like, you going to get him? Should I get him? You gonna get him? Years pass, and every time we get done, my dad would say, let's all lift our hands and bless the Lord together. You would think it destroyed the church, but let me tell you something about the church. The people who had strong faith were able to stand in that strong faith without destroying someone who was first generation yeah. Yeah. apostolic. Yeah. 
we can hold firm. And finally, living this way allows us to live as ambassadors. You want to change the world? Don't just worry about what you do. Worry about how you do it. You want to influence your generation? Don't just worry about what you do. Worry about how you do it. Paul makes this appeal, and he says, look, um, you're going to have to figure out where you fit around here. You're going to have to work out your your salvation. Not really talking about doctrine. That wouldn't make any sense because I'm going to talk about holding firm in just a minute. Talking about something else and translators are going to struggle with it, you know, and whatnot. But here's the thing. Find your place and when you find it, I want you to work without contentiousness in your heart. I want you to work without complaining in your heart. I don't want you to be a one-man grumble box. I, I want you to do it a certain way. And if you'll do that, if you won't just care about what you do, if you'll seek out what you do and then you'll care about how you do it, you will have a life that serves as a navigational aid to all the people in your life. You can hold firm to your truth and you can live as an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We live for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Let me just plead with everybody in the house, come back to God. Um, So I want to real quick remind you of a situation that happened about three years ago. A police officer was drunk and came home and went in the wrong apartment. It wasn't her apartment. She was drunk. She was armed. It's not a good combination, just so you know. Um, And she went in the wrong apartment. And um, when the man came out to confront her, um, she drew her gun and she killed him. And um, there was a lot of problems to the, in this situation. Um, yes, there is tragedy in her mistakenness. Yes, yes. But here's the thing. Um, police officers are trained in certain ways. And when they don't follow those certain ways, it creates all kinds of problems. She had broken so many of her own rules. Uh, and there was somebody who had died as a, as a result. And um, I, am, I, am, I, I am not against police departments whatsoever. We need law. We need order. We support everyone who risks their lives. Um, and I think uh, the police officers I know oftentimes are the first ones to be mad at bad cops because it makes them all look like they are bad cops. And a lot of them are, are, are great people who risk their life on a regular basis. So this isn't about that, but she broke a lot of rules. She came into a place and then <clears throat> she killed the man rather than just uh, in some way warn him or back out. It was, it was, it was needless. Well, she was... Um, of course, charged with not premeditated murder, but I don't know exactly what it was. It was a terrible situation. Anyway, the point is, she killed this man, and the man had a younger brother who was very close to him and loved him, and this younger brother was a Christian. And this younger brother spoke at the sentencing trial of um, this, this police officer. And I don't know how many of you have seen this, but I'm going to show it to you right now. Here, this is worth seeing. Speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say 
Help me to carry this gospel. Help me to carry this promise in such a way. Oh, my Lord Jesus. Help me to find what I can do, God, and then help me to do it the right way. Help me to find the difference I can make and then help me to live that difference out. Help me to find the mission, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. 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 Jesus, let your spirit speak powerfully through us here today. Is there an interpretation in the room? I am the Lord. Yes. I see you. I see the hills that you climb. I see the valleys that you walk through. Yes, Lord. I am with you. Yes, Lord. I will strengthen you. I say what is right. I Yes. If you will seek me. Yes, Lord. And not men, I will show you the way. Yes, Lord. I will take you to a place that you could not believe. Yes, Lord. A place where the streets are made of gold. Yes, Lord. A place where there's no fear. A place where there is no price. I love you. Oh, hallelujah. I respond to the word of the Lord in your heart. Would you just speak your uh, your prayer right now? Speak to God in your own style, your own method, your own truth, as far as your experiences, your formative pains, your broken past. Just speak that to God. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.